This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you so much for, Lord, your presence with us, your teaching presence with us to open our hearts through your spirit, pour out your spirit to us. We pray, Lord, and make known your words to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, turning your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 17. We're going to be considering these three verses from 10 to 13. I think that's four verses. I need Clint to help me out here. Is that four verses, Clint? That's four verses. 10 to 13. Okay, Matthew 17, 10 to 13. Okay, and his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias must first come, or Elijah? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias, Elijah, truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto that Elias, Elijah, is come already, and they knew him not, but they have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. Okay, now, it's been a, we covered this last week, it's been a very, very wonderful day. It's been a long day, it's been a wonderful day for the disciples up there on the Mount of Transfiguration, and then they're coming down, but and they're trying to process everything that's happened. It's happened so fast, so quickly. They see the glory of God in Jesus, and they realize he's God, he's the Messiah, it, it, it's shining out from him. And then they see something they totally didn't expect right out of the blue. There's Moses, there's Elijah, they're standing there in person talking with him. And that just really impressed the disciples. They just were impressed so much about that, that Peter, speaking for the group, as he always did, he just proposed this memorialization. Got to memorialize this time that the three are standing there, Moses, Elijah, Jesus, and, and he's saying he wants to build three monuments. And that's when God the Father stepped in with a no, 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 no. 
statement that there's only one important person there, and that's, that's his son, Jesus, in whom he's well pleased. And then you need to focus on him. He says, hear him. And now you'd think that after this cloud comes and they're buried in it and Moses and Elijah are taken away, verse 5, verse 5, when he yet, while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, this is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him as if God is saying, not Moses and Elijah right now. In, and that just scared the disciples just out of their mind. In verse 6, when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. They were so afraid and hurt. It was painful. And after they rose up and they had seen that Moses and Elijah was gone out of the scene and only Jesus was there in, in verse 8, when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Now, you would have thought that the disciples would have figured it out Maybe I should just forget about Moses and Elijah and just focus on Jesus here. But, but, but they, they, they just can't get this out of their mind, that there was Moses and there was Elijah. And so they're coming down the, the mountain, and the Lord had already told them, you know, you keep this a secret, everything you saw. And, and before they reach the bottom of the hill there and rejoin uh, the rest of the disciples, they've got one more question. It's not about Jesus, it's about Elijah. Elijah. And so they pose their question in verse 10. And they say, the disciples asked him, say, why then say the scribes that Elijah must first come? So they're coming down the mountain. They're perplexed. There's something is bothering them. It's not Moses. Moses, you can go. That's okay. It's Elijah. And they use this word then in verse 10. Why then say the, the scribes that Elijah must first come? And it shows that they're linking their question to what they had seen on the mountain. And they had seen Elijah and said, well, so then? So in other words, they're thinking, Elijah was just there. Elijah's gone. And they use this, it's like they're saying, so then, where's Elijah? What happened to Elijah? Moses, okay. Moses, he could go, okay. Moses could be dismissed, that's fine. But not Elijah, why? Because the scribes, they say, say that Elijah had to come before the Messiah. So what happened to Elijah? We know that, in essence, they're looking at Jesus. They're saying, we know you're the Messiah, and that should mean that Elijah's supposed to come here before. But this is the first time we've actually seen Elijah. And so it was only for a brief time. It was just for a few moments. And it was like, now you see Elijah, now you don't. So what happened is what's on their mind. First of all, they're thinking, Elijah's late because he should have been here earlier, he should have been, and he should have stayed. So isn't there something being that we're missing here? Now, how can Elijah do his work if, if he's only going to appear for a few months and he's going to go? So first of all, it was just super, super surprising to hear that the disciples are talking about what the scribes say. I mean, the scribes? Who are the scribes? The scribes, the Lord had already told them, Chapter 16, verse 21, Matthew 16, 21, he said, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must suffer. He must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes and be killed. The scribes are the ones who, who are in Mark 11, 8, Mark 11, 8. The scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. So what does this tell you about the disciples that they care about what the scribes say about the Messiah? It shows us how the scribes still have this influence over, over the disciples. 
You know, it reminds me of a time I was in Ducati one time. And so I was asked to, they have a group down there called the group of the manufacturing facilities in Baja, California, and the companies that manufacture down there. And so they wanted me to speak about what my goal, personal goals were for scantibodies. So I, of course, I took the opportunity to tell them how I came to Jesus Christ, how I came to Christ. And there was a lady there at that, in that group. And I asked her, I said, so, I said, so what do you believe about Jesus Christ? And her response was, I believe whatever the Catholic Church says. That's <laughs> what she said. <laughs> I believe whatever the Catholic Church says. What she said is not just isolated for the Catholic Church. This is not just about the Catholic Church. And I went either asked Jewish people what they believe about this, especially about what they believe who Jesus is. I, in essence, have heard the same thing. You know, I believe whatever the rabbis believe about Jesus. So this response of, I believe whatever the church, whatever the rabbis believe, it's a very safe place to hide to avoid thinking for yourself. Very safe. And this raises the question, well, I'm going to take the Jewish people as an example. Are the Jewish people a faith group or a people group? You know, which is really basically a question of what draws a Jewish person together to be a part of the Jewish people. For the Jewish people, is it what they all believe that makes them Jews, or is it who they are as Jews, as, which comes first? In other words, what's the priority? What comes first to hold the Jews together? Is it what they believe, or is it they're, they're a part of the group? You know, the very first practice that God gave for the Jewish people to mark them as different from all other people, do you know what their practice was? It was circumcision. This was the first practice that God told Abraham to mark him and his house as a group that was different, separate, because the other group of people weren't doing that. And that was in Genesis 17.10, Genesis 17.10, where God said this, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised. You shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. It shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man-child in your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with the money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed, he that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. Circumcision is so important and it's universal. I have a friend and uh, his father was Turkish and during the War of Independence in Israel, he was caught by the British and they thought he was an enemy from Turkey, the Ottoman and so forth. They were going to kill him. And he says, no, he was Jewish and uh, I won't go into details. Anyways, they showed him he was circumcised. Anyway, so it's been a sign among the Jewish people as a group that's separate from all their people. It's like a, an unquestionable thing, circumcision. And yet, 10 years ago, there was a movement to get circumcision outlawed in San Francisco with a $1,000 fine, and it was you know child mutilation, and, and it was a big movement, and they, got it, they were gonna get it on the ballot if it wasn't for a judge who ruled it. And you know who was behind that movement? Jews. It was Jewish people who were behind the movement to get circumcision outlined, outlawed. So if some Jews in the group 
or called Jews, and they believe the circumcision is wrong, and some Jews are in the group of Jews, they don't even believe in God, and yet they're all Jews. So then the question becomes, are Jews a faith group or a people group? And clearly, they're a people group, because they're not a faith group, because you can't identify anything that all Jews agree on that make them Jewish except for one thing, that a Jew cannot believe in Jesus Christ. But apart from that, anything goes. Well, it's the same question for this lady at Takati. What draws her as a Catholic together with other Catholics? For her, are Catholics a faith group or a people group? The same question could be asked for the Chaldeans in El Cajon or the Greek Orthodox in San Diego. Is it a faith group made up of individuals who have believed the same thing? Or is it a people group who happen to eat the same foods and have the same physical characteristics and speak the same language and have the same customs and traditions? And they all associate maybe in a particular church or a synagogue or whatever. The issue here is that God does not save groups of people. God does not make groups of people his children. God saves individuals, people who have thought for themselves, people who have come themselves, and he makes these individuals his children. As he said in Isaiah 27, 12, Isaiah 27, 12, God said, you shall be gathered one by one, O ye children of Israel, one by one. Jesus said in John 6, 37, John 6, 37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that come to me I will in no wise cast out. Not they that come to me I will in no wise cast out, but him that come to me I will in no wise cast out. So it's surprising to see the disciples here so influenced by what the scribes were teaching that they should care, and they wanted an explanation from the Lord on what the scribes were teaching. Thessalonians, they're praised for this, for this independent thinking when it says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectively worketh also in you that believe. This is the Thessalonians. When they saw that, when they got the Bible, when they saw, when they received the word of God, they didn't receive it as the scribes say. They received it as God says, as the word of God. The Berean believers were immune from following men because what it says of in Acts 17.11, Acts 17.11, they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. In other words, the way the believers in Thessalonica, the way the believers in Berea were saved was looking at what men said, like the scribes, and then receiving the Bible as the word of God, the authority to show them whether it was right or wrong. They listened to what was being taught, then they searched the Bible themselves to see whether it was true or not, because the Bible is the authority. This is where the disciples were lacking, in that they should have asked the Lord, why does the scripture say, why does it say in Malachi that Elijah should come first before the Messiah, which it does. In the last two verses in Malachi, before the great 400-year silence, the last words of God to Israel in Malachi 4, 5, and 6 are, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Their question should have been, why does the scripture say that Elijah must first come 
and not, as it is in verse 10, why then say the scribes that Elijah must first come? Nevertheless, nevertheless, Christ is so gracious that he doesn't get concerned about that, and he just answers them. In verse 11, Jesus answered and said unto them, Elijah uh, truly shall first come and restore all things. And this is, again, referring to the verses in, in uh, Malachi 4, 5, and 6. God is going to send Elijah, and it says that Elijah is going to turn the heart of the fathers to the children. This great turning we've seen since the 1960s, I guess, you know, with the start of Jews for Jesus, we've seen a turning of Jews to Christ, and that turning of Jews to Christ was primarily among young people, young people called in this verse the children. And so the Jewish young people are the ones who turn, and then it wasn't uncommon for them to look to their parents, to go to their parents, to bring them to Christ as, as the heart of the fathers was turned toward the children. And what the Jewish children were doing is that they weren't turning their heart toward their fathers who were against Christ, but they were turning, the children's hearts were turning toward the, the fathers as in Father Abraham, Father Isaac, and Father Jacob. So the heart of the children was going back to the, the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were following Jehovah Jesus, and they then, with a heart of care and compassion toward their own uh, immediate fathers, turned their hearts. It's interesting. But what's interesting here is that the Lord, when he refers to this, he talks, he uses a word, restore. He said, Elijah's going to come and restore all things. The world today is suffering because of sin. People are suffering because of sin. Sin represents a change. Adam and Eve were going along, obeying God. They were in a state of friendship with God. They were in the Garden of Eden. And then came the great changer, the devil. He enticed them to change and try disobedience. Oh, it's fun. It's great. Eyes will be open. You'll see things, know things. Try disobedience, try sin, and try being in a state of enemies with God. It's boring to be a friend of God. This is essence of what he was saying. And so when they did that, Adam and Eve, they needed restoration. They needed restoration. They needed restoration back to obedience, back to friendship with God. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is restoration. Repentance is a return. It's why God told Israel, in uh, Jeremiah 6.16, Jeremiah 6.16, when they were deep in sin, God said to them, in Jeremiah 6.16, Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk, the, walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. So when David had committed these horrible sins of adultery and murder with Bathsheba and, and killing her husband, David realized that something had changed dramatically. And so in his Psalm of Repentance, which is Psalm 51, he said in Psalm 51, 12, Psalm 51, 12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. In other words, what, what David realized was that joy was gone Life had become depressing for David. There was no happiness. There was no thrill. There was no excitement. There was no joy in his life. And so his prayer is, bring it back. You know, 
I lost that joyful feeling. Bring it back. Bring back the joy of your salvation. Now, when Christ is referring here to uh, Elijah, the coming of Elijah, we know there are two comings of the Lord. There's the first coming and there's the second coming. And before each coming, Elijah comes. And so when the Lord is talking about, in verse 11, Elijah truly shall first come and restore all things, he's talking about the future. He shall come. This is his second coming, is he's talking about, and restore all things. Restore all things, judgment's going to come. But then the Lord then addresses the moment that he's speaking about in his first coming in the next verse, verse 12, where it says, But I say unto you that Elijah is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed, likewise going to do to him. So, and we can imagine how surprised the disciples are where they hear that, Elijah came already? Did anybody, were we blind? What happened? Did you see him? I didn't see him. Do you know that Elijah came? We didn't see him. But before John the Baptist was born, an angel came and explained to his father, Zacchaeus. He explained to Zacharias. He explained to him what John the Baptist was going to do in Luke 1.13. Luke 1.13. The angel said unto him, this is John's father. The angel said unto him, fear not, Zacharias. For thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. For he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the disobedient and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So John the Baptist was not Elijah literally, but John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah to fulfill the role of Elijah from Malachi. And John the Baptist knew that he wasn't literally Elijah. And as a matter of fact, when his challengers came to him and they asked him point blank, are you Elijah? They asked him that. In John 1.19, John 1.19, this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Art thou Elijah? Are you Elijah? And he saith, I am not. So John the Baptist knows he's not Elijah, but John the Baptist is keenly aware that he is a person who is described by the prophet Isaiah as simply the voice. That's how this person is described in Isaiah 40, verse 3. Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. He knows he's this person who is the voice. He knows that because he goes on in John 1. He says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, referring to Isaiah 40, verse 3. Make straight the paths before the Lord prepare. So what this is referring to, this makes straight the path of the Lord, this is referring to a practice that was then that whenever a Middle Eastern king would travel, he would have a person way out in front of his caravan. And that person would essentially be crying out, he's coming, he couldn't see him, he's way out. 
He's coming, the king's, and so he's coming down this road. So remove any rocks that are in the way, get rid of any debris, any branches or whatever, clear the way so that his way will not be hindered. Is it going this way? Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.